0: Good morning. I don't know about you, but um, I think in the middle of all of the craziness of 2020, um, it's refreshing to take a look back and see all the things that God's been up to. Um, it's surprising, isn't it? It's surprising as you go back and look at it like that all happened in 2020. Um, I, I don't remember all of that. It's kind of been like really quickly and gone really slowly through this past year and um, anyway, I'm just so proud of you guys. Thank you so much for all of you that have just stuck it out and um, gone with us on a, this creative journey of trying to figure out how to, how to do things. And um, I love that our team has just decided, um, rather than just say, well, we're just going to cancel this or we're not going to do that. We just said, no, like, well, let's just figure out a way to do it, even though it's not the way we always used to. Right. Amen. So cool stuff. Awesome. Um, Welcome. 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 Uh, My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life. And uh, Christmas is almost here. We have like, what, four or five more days or something. I don't know. It's pretty much it's pretty much upon us. And um, as we head into this to this whole season of Advent, um, it's like this hope filled anticipation of of the arrival of Jesus not only that, we believe that Jesus has already come, that he is coming, and that he will come again. And that's kind of the hope-filled anticipation that, that we have as Christians of the second coming of Christ. And, um, and yet, as we were talking and just watching in this video, this comes at a really weird time. Like, we're kind of in a, an odd day of, in, in our culture right now, a day of of uh, polarization and division and confusion, disappointment and hope deferred. Things just aren't normal. Life is strange. Amen? Life is weird right now. Um, It's certainly not what we'd hoped for. Uh, We've got this whole social distancing and masks that kind of make social interactions awkward. Our kids aren't back to school quite yet the way it ever used to be. And um, many of you had Thanksgiving uh, with a much smaller group of people, maybe even by yourself, and, and you're looking at spending the holidays in kind of the same fashion. And, and, then, and then there's this weirdness that we have, this strange, if, if we're going to be honest, that there's like some of us actually enjoyed that. Um, we don't want to admit that, but there's like this, this hating of the isolation, and yet there's this feeling of uncovered or anxiety in crowds. And so there's, we're dealing with all of that and the shame and regret and pain and all of that kind of stuff in the midst of it. I mean, let's just be honest. It's weird where we're at right now. Um, And the longer this drags on, the more disappointed we get Um, thinking, okay, we should be different. You know, we're hoping that when 2020 turns to 2021, all this is going to be away and we're just going to move into a new year with a new season and things are going to look different because the vaccine's here. And um, I'm going to be honest, like I feel like I have to work twice as hard to keep my hope up. I feel like I have to keep work twice as hard to keep my, 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 my mind and my heart focused on Christ and and not be focused on all of the things that um that are, that are distractions because if i'm going to be really honest i sometimes feel like the distractions are the main thing and um i am they're begging me to click and to scroll and to read and to watch and to just get enraged about something new every day like that's that's kind of what what the the competition i i think that over the next six months and even over the past nine months the um the, the, the war is going to be for hope. Um, that, that's going to be the battle, the battleground for us. Like we're, we're at war and the distractions around us are fighting for your hope. And so if you're wondering why we made a big eight-foot um, lit-up gleaming white word of hope this season, it's intentional. <laughs> it's intentional because we all need it, right? We need it. We, we desire it. We're, um, we're starving for it. Many of us are literally um, perishing for lack of it. Um, if you want to know what the church has to offer the world right now, it's hope. It's hope. It's hope in, in Christ. It's hope beyond what we're currently focused in on um, to lift our eyes up and to be focused on something greater. And um, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Christmas and um, all of the all of the shopping most of you guys have probably been doing online. Amazon has been doing wonderfully well this season. And uh, when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, there was one thing that every kid wanted. Um, so if you had a kid growing up in the '80s, then you probably were asked for this, and it was the uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, um, also known as Tendo and uh, NES. That was uh, that was a dream of, of every young child in the growing up in the '80s. Um, I knew that my parents loved me, but um, but I couldn't understand why I never got one. Right, like I was one of those kids. All of my friends were getting Nintendos, and I was uh, it was hard. <laughs> You're like, get over it, Justin. This is stupid. Um, my mom every year she'd be like, well, don't you want like a, a calculator watch? And I'm like, No, I mean, I did, but I really want a Nintendo. And I asked for it for Christmas. I asked for Santa. I asked for my parents. I asked for my birthday every single year. Uh, that's all I want. All I want is a Nintendo. After like year after year, it was just, it's going to rot your brain. No, you can't have one. That was, you know, this was the, the thing. And after three grueling years, first world problems, I finally um, opened one up on Christmas morning. And um, and it was one of those things that you just think is never going to come. Like, I'd pretty much just given up. I think the last year, I don't even know if I asked for it because I just thought, well, it's not actually going to happen. And I think that if we're going to be looking at, like, where we're currently at right now, the, um, the tendency, the temptation is to just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to give up hoping because I'm just, I don't want to get just so disappointed I was hoping that it would be, look different. I was hoping this year would look different. I was hoping that, like, my relationships, my marriage, my kids, like, all this stuff would look different, and, and it's not. It doesn't seem like it's going to get much better or it's going to be a whole lot further out. And we get disappointed in hope. We get disappointed. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Um, do you ever have that feeling of heart sickness? I honestly, when I was reading this, I'm like, I think that's, like, how many of us are feeling right now is that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Wanting something that just never seems to be coming. Like I just, I was hoping it was gonna change. I was hoping something was gonna look different. And I was hoping that things were gonna go back to normal again, whatever, whatever that means now. And I was hoping that God was going to fulfill that calling on my life. I was hoping that um, he was gonna give me the one that I'm supposed to marry. Or I was hoping that God was gonna start working on the one that I did marry. Um, I was hoping, I'm waiting and hoping for a job or for a better job or a new job or a large sum of money so I can quit my job. And you know, there's this, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. That's what we hear in our day today. I'm hoping for uh, the same president or a new president or a vaccine or a cure. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. And we can get disappointed in hope. And we can do anything for a short term, but as that short term becomes a longer term and an indefinite term, we lose hope. We get disappointed in hope. And today I want to take a look at um, at the Scripture today. In um, we're going to kind of go through the, the life of John the Baptist, who is, uh, if you've ever if you've ever read and heard about John the Baptist, he was the forerunner for Jesus. He was actually one of Jesus's cousins, and uh, was kind of like the opening band for Jesus and, and gathered people um, to to actually proclaim and to make way for for Jesus Christ. He was kind of this weird character, uh, original like hippy dippy granola head. Um, he wore camel hair, camel hair clothes, and um, ate grasshoppers and honey, which sounds like bear grills. Like it sounds disgusting. Um, and he lived out in the wilderness. He lived out in the desert. Uh, people came from all around to hear this wild man preach. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the the religious, the the sinners. Everyone came out to hear this this wild guy preach. And he was telling people, like seriously, he had like he had one sermon that he just kept preaching and it was like, people get ready, repent. The Messiah is coming. Hope is near. Get ready. Turn away from your sins. Prepare yourself. Prepare your hearts. And then he started baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is why we call him John the Immerser or John the Baptizer. He was was baptizing people. And and people are like, man, this guy's like he's got this word. And people are coming. And their their lives were just being changed as they're going through this baptism and coming out on the other side. And people start asking him, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Like, are you... Man, you're you so powerful, and I don't know if you've realized, but there's like a whole line, a mile long, waiting to come and to hear you, and to get baptized by you. And this is John's reply in John chapter 1, verse 23. He says, he quotes the, the words of Isaiah of Isaiah the prophet, who I think would probably be his favorite prophet. Because how many of you know if, if you're being prophesied um, in a pro- by a prophet, that would, be, that would be your favorite prophet. He says, This, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy preparing the way for the guy. I'm the one making straight the path for the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, there's this one day where Jesus shows up, and Jesus shows up to the Jordan to see John the Baptist, to be baptized by John. And John's like, what in the world? And as soon as John sees him, he yells out for everyone else to hear. He's like, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus comes, and he's like, I, I've come so that you would baptize me. And John's like, what are you kidding me? Like, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Like, you're the one. I'm just the guy that's telling people about the one. And Jesus says, no, I want, to, I want to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John's like, fine, okay, great, we'll do this. And so he baptizes him. And as he comes out of the water, I want you to get a view of what happens. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. I want you to just capture this. Heaven opened. I don't even know what that looks like or feels like or... I can't even imagine what that feels like. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. So just, I want you to just capture this. John sees Jesus from afar, recognizes him, calls him out in the middle of a crowd. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Messiah. Jesus comes, he's baptized, heaven rips open. The Holy Spirit descends down only on one person, Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden an audible voice comes out of literally nowhere and everywhere so that not just John, but everybody around hears this. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, like this, this is the one. And then John says in John chapter one, verse 34, he literally says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I know it. Not only that, John points his own followers to unfollow him and to start following Jesus. We, we see later on and that, that he's walking with one of his disciples known as Andrew, and he, and he goes by and they see Jesus, and literally John looks at, looks at Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, go follow him. You, you should unfollow me and you should go follow him because I'm just the one that's preparing the way for him. And so, literally, Andrew and Peter become disciples of Jesus and start following Jesus on John's recommendation. Look, the Lamb of God, you should follow him. And so, Jesus' ministry begins and it starts to go viral and it starts blowing up and it's like amazing and start, people start following him and throngs and crowds and people, that, the, the, the sick and, and the people that, that, that need healing and they want to hear this, this amazing son of God preach and... And then whatever happens to John, you know, like what, what happens to that guy? Well, he got into some trouble. Um, He was unwilling to acquiesce to the king and called him out on his sin. And the fact that he, you know, married his sister-in-law and it, it was, it was kind of like the real housewives of Israel. You know, it was kind of a messy situation. And John was like, no, this is wrong. And, and this is, this is sin. You shouldn't be doing this. And so John gets thrown into prison, and he sits there in a filthy prison for over a year. Over a year. And he waits, and he hopes, and he waits, and he hopes, and he waits, and he hopes, and he hopes, and he waits, and he waits, and he hopes. And he's like, honestly disappointed in hope. And if we're going to be really honest, he's disappointed in Jesus. He's just disappointed in Jesus. And I don't know if you can relate, and you probably won't raise your hand about that because, because that's not something that we like to admit. But have you ever just been disappointed in Jesus? I just, and you may be like, well, Pastor, doesn't that sound really sacrilegious? To which I would say, you don't even know how to spell sacrilegious. It's just real, right? It's just real. Can we just be honest? Can we just say, this is not how I thought it was going to turn out? This isn't how I thought that 2020 was going to turn out. This isn't how I thought my, my life was going to turn out. I didn't think that this was the way that my marriage was going to turn out. I didn't think that this was the way my kids were going to. I just didn't think this is not what I had planned. This is not what I hoped for. This is, I mean, I was hoping and praying and hoping and thinking and praying and hoping and praying and hoping and praying. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in a um, prison cell. Like, Jesus, I know you're the, the Savior of the world, but, like, could you just get me out of prison? It's it's. This isn't what I had hoped it would be, and and, and, and we get disappointed in Jesus. So what do you do? What do you do when you get disappointed in Jesus? What do you do when, when, when God isn't doing what you think he should be doing? And that's just real. That's just honest. I love how John the Baptist responds. The first thing he does, and I would just say this to you, if you find yourself disappointed, if you find yourself disappointed in hope, disappointed in Christ... The first thing he does is he invites Jesus into his disappointment. What? I just want you to know, Jesus isn't, isn't scared that you're disappointed. He's not, he's not thinking, Man, I hope that I, hope I don't disappoint them. I hope that they, I do everything that, I, that they want me to do. He's not, he's not afraid of it. He's not, he's not intimidated by it. I just want to encourage you to invite Jesus into your disappointment. This is what John does in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples. Some say that it was like upwards of like 100 miles on foot that these guys had to walk. So this wasn't just like, hey, like, could you just go over to Lyman and just ask? You know, this was 100 miles on foot. And he sends them, the Bible says, verse 3, to ask him, Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Why in the world would John the Baptist ask this question? Why is he currently doubting what he was so previously sure about? We just talked about it, all the things that had happened, how he called out Jesus and said he's the one and told all his disciples follow him because he's the one, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and I'm not worthy to untie his sandals and he is the one. Why, why, Why would he do that? Why would he ask this question? Because he's rotting in a prison cell. He's he's struggling. Like, are, you, are you, Is this how it's? Is this it? Is this how it's supposed to go? And if I were John, I'd be wondering the same thing. I'd be thinking like, um, I know I said um, that you must increase and I must decrease, but not this way. Like, not like this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Are you the one, or or should I be waiting for somebody else? Because a lot of times I think that we, you know. Um, What if God is doing exactly what we've asked him to do, just not in the way that we wanted him to do it? He says, well, I I know I've got a decrease and he must increase, but this is not how I was thinking it was going to go. And so he sends his disciples to essentially ask Jesus, "Um, Jesus, you don't seem to be doing what I really think you should be doing. Have you not seen the movies? This is where you break into prison and free your favorite sidekick, me. Remember me? Remember? I was making way for you and all these things. Are you the one? Or should I be looking for somebody else? Like, I don't understand why why I'm still here. I don't understand why we're still in the same weird place. Like, we should be further along. We should be out. You should have rescued us by now. And I don't understand. Like, are you the one? Or should I be waiting for somebody else? And if we're really honest, John the Baptist was in two prisons. Yeah, he was in a prison behind steel bars or in a pit or whatever that looked like. I'm not trying to glorify that in any way, shape, or form, but he was also in another prison, and it was a prison of disappointment. And if we're really honest, which is what we should be, many of us live in that prison, the prison of what you'd expected, what you'd hoped for, what you'd planned, what you think you know, God was going to do or he should have done or it's taken so long. And that disappointment will cause you to essentially set your level of expectation at your level of your experience. Let me say that again. Disappointment will cause you to set your level of expectation to the level of your experience. And we miss what God is doing in you and through you in the midst of it. It's where we get words like things like we say, well, it is what it is. It just is what it is. I mean, we just kind of just accept the fact that this is where we're at and this is where it's going to be and it's never going to change. Nothing's ever going to get better. Nothing's ever going to look, look better than this. If I can just accept reality, then everything's going to be good. And what does it do? It keeps us from risking because, well, if I risk, if I don't risk, then, then I don't ever lose. It keeps us from praying because I just don't, don't want to hear the word no, or I don't want to have to wait for a prayer to be answered, or it keeps us from hoping, which is the biggest thing. It keeps us from hoping because it's like, well, I just, God hasn't done it yet, and he's probably not going to do it, so I'm just going to stop hoping because I don't want to be disappointed any more than I already am. It's this weird thing, and we just end up living our life at the level of our disappointment. I think that's the thing that, that many of us deal with. I mean, if you think, think this through with me, like, what does Satan use to derail your faith? Oftentimes, he uses disappointment. What, is, what does God use to refine your faith? Disappointment. Trials, temptations, things that, that we go through that we would rather not be going through, and yet God's like, um... I got you right where I want you, and I want you to walk through this with me and know that I've not left you nor forsaken you, and we're going to walk through this together. I think it's this reality as I was just even just reading through the life of John the Baptist that it's like our disappointment can either be a place of confinement or a place of refinement. It can either be a place if we're not willing to admit it, if we're not willing to walk through it, we just just stay locked up well, it is what it is. I'm just going to look down. I'm not going to risk. I'm not going to hope. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to expect my level of disappointment and my experience, and this is the way it's been. This is the way it's always going to be, and nothing's ever going to change, and, and my wife's not going to change. My husband's not going to change. My kids aren't going to change. My life's not going to change. My situation's not going to change. My finances aren't going to change. So I don't want to risk. I don't want to hope. I don't want to pray. I don't wanna, I, I, I'm want to. i just going to live. I'm going to live in this disappointment, or it becomes a place of stretching. It becomes a place of like Man, let me just tell you, when things start to go off the rails, you either hunker down and act like it's not happening or you get authentic and real and say, Jesus, I need you more than ever. (sighs) I mean, I I, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this without you. I don't know how I'm gonna walk through this because disappointment happens. It's kind of what you choose to do with it. And I love how John the Baptist breaks the cycle he does what, like, I would only dream or think of doing. He's like, no, I want you to go ask Jesus this question, the question that all of us would be asking and maybe some of us are asking. He just goes right to Jesus with it. He doesn't hide around it. He doesn't try to gloss it over, pour some Jesus juice on it, make the pile of poop look like it's better than it really is or that it's, and it's anything different. He's like, no, I want to hear from Jesus what his answer is. And then Jesus' response is, it's, it's crazy. This is how he responds to Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus replies, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He reminds John... Of what John has already heard. He reminds John of what John already knows. He already has heard about stories of what is going on with Jesus. But I just want to remind you is that sometimes when you're in the, a prison of disappointment, sometimes you need to remind yourself of what God has already done. Bring that to, to, to your remembrance. Because if I was John, I'd be tempted to think the same thing. Um, I know what you're doing for other people. I I, I hear that you've done this and that you're working of miracles here and you've done that for this person, but what about me? Like, I was kind of wondering, like, maybe you could get me out of prison right now because you're not feeling like the one right now. I know I've said it and I think that you are, but you're not feeling like you are the one and how easy it is for us to be blinded to what God is doing because of what he's not doing. I don't know about you, but there are, there are times and seasons, even, even this season, if I'm going to be really honest with you guys, even this season, it's so easy to see what he's not doing. It's so easy to see the, 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 the disappointment of what it could be or where it should be. It's so easy to look at all the stuff that, that I just wish were different and wish were changed that I, I have to work twice as hard to be able to see what he is doing in my midst to see past my own disappointment to be past all the things that I thought that he should or could be doing to be reminded of what he already is doing and has done. And I've urged you this before. Like I, and I urge you this again, like some, some of you need to, this, this little thing isn't just for surfing the internet or or posting on Facebook or reading all kinds of ridiculousness that, that you have no business reading. Um, I have a note in my a note file in my phone that I literally write down salvations that I've witnessed, um, prophetic words that I've received, testimonies, uh, healings. I, I write them all down. I literally have a, a couple different notes in here that I'll go back through when I'm disappointed in in Jesus and I'm like, God, I need you to remind me of the things that you have done. I literally, and this has been, I've been in ministry. I don't twenty years. I don't even know how long it's been. Um, I I literally have a folder, a Manila folder. It's in my desk right now, and it's called "I Quit." <laughs> it literally says "I Quit," and you're like, "What's in that folder?" Letters, memories, notes from people, things that God's done, and I literally probably about once a year, or <laughs> through COVID, I've actually looked at it a couple times, um, where where. Whenever I feel like quitting, whenever I'm just honestly just disappointed, I go back to it. I'm like, God, remind me. I need you to remind me what you're up to. I need you to remind me of, of, of what you have called me to. God, I need, you to, I need you to remind me of what you've done because all I'm seeing is what you're not doing and I need to be reminded of what you are doing. It's powerful. I, I, I completely like go through, write it down. Why? Because it gets really foggy when you're in prison. And do it now. It's one of those things that you don't think is that important until it is, and then it's too late. So if you're in a good place right now, this is the perfect time for you to start making a note in your phone. It's a perfect time for you to start just writing things down. Why? So that when you're disappointed in Jesus, you can go back to it and be like, that's right. That's the truth. That's what God's up to. That's what he's done. That's what he saved me from. God, thank you for delivering that. Thank you for doing that in my marriage. God, how could I ever turn back from you? Get to remind yourself of those things, especially when you're in the midst of disappointment. So be honest about it. Be honest. Stop saying that you don't have it, and then um, and then invite God into it. And I want you to see something, and I'll leave you with this: that um, it's interesting that um, Jesus Jesus's answer to John is not just some random reminder. He's not just like, yeah, well, the deaf the deaf hear, the blind see, all these things. He's actually quoting messianic prophecies from the prophet Isaiah. John's favorite, right? Because he prophesies about John. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5. Look at what Jesus says to John. This is his answer. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. John would have immediately caught the reference that Jesus was making about Isaiah. And there's a couple different, there's actually like three. I'll read two of them to you. One of them is from Isaiah 29, verse 18. It says, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scrolls. Out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice and the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And then there's a scripture that you know, little boy Jesus, when he was like, you know, kind of away from his parents and hanging out in the, uh, in the temple, he actually opens up the scroll and, uh, and, and reads this as like a prophecy that he's walking in. Luke chapter four, verse 17 It says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, little boy Jesus, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And afterwards drops the mic and walks off and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And as I was reading all these, all of these prophecies, there's, there's so many of them re- repeat themselves. The blind, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the good news to the poor. But there's one thing that, if you notice, if you read through these, that I can't help that Jesus may have intentionally left it out as a message to John. He sends Jesus' disciples back to John to report to him all of these things that he's he's seen, all of these prophecies, to mention all of them, but there's one of these prophecies on this list that he may have left out on purpose, and it's this. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And in place of this, he says in Matthew 11, verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed are those who, who don't turn away when I don't measure up what they think I should be doing and I I wonder if if maybe Jesus may have just been sending John a message I'm the one and you don't need to be looking for anybody else but I'm not going to break you out of prison what but I'm still the one and I know that stinks I'm still the Messiah. I'm still the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm the Deliverer. I'm the Healer. I'm the One. But don't mistake your disappointment with my identity. I know you're in a, you're in a rough place right now, and you're just like, man, I, I was hoping that it was going to look different. I was hoping that I was going to be delivered from these things. And, and, and I, just, I just believe that some of us need to hear that this morning, that He is the One. You don't need to be looking for anybody else. But don't mistake your checkbook balance with the fact that He's still your provider. He's still the one, and you don't need to be looking for anybody else. But don't mistake your marital status with the fact that he is still your Messiah. He's still the one, and you don't need to be looking for anybody else. But don't let your current dark place overshadow that he is still the light of the world. Amen? Don't let somebody else's unfaithfulness in your life confuse the fact that he is true and faithful. Don't let your current situation confuse you with that, that he is still a good dad, that he is a good father. Don't let the circumstances of the disappointment, the things that are right in front of us, cause us to forget that he is an all-sufficient Savior. And so 2020 may have not like, turned out the way that he had hoped and all those types of things, but let me just remind you all the things that you've seen, all the things that you've heard. Cause yourself to lift up and to rejoice and to praise him. Maybe and sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. But God, I thought that you would, and you should, and I thought, why, why would you? He says, I'm still the one. And you don't need to be looking for another. I'm still the one. Essentially, he tells John, don't trip over your disappointment. Don't trip over it. Don't, don't trip over your disappointment. I am still the one, and you don't need to be looking for anybody else. And I love what happens next. Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus, make sure that John's disciples overhear this. In verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John, and he says, What did you go out to see into the wilderness? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about who it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's as if Jesus is saying, John may be disappointed in me, but I am not disappointed in him. Let me tell you about who he is. And he goes on and talks about the identity of who John the Baptist is. And he reminds his followers of who John the Baptist is. That, Please, let me, just, let me just remind you, church, things may not be going all the way that you had hoped or that you think that they should be, but don't forget that you were a child of the Most High King. Don't forget that you, that you are a citizen of a higher kingdom. And maybe you're in a place where, like, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking that it was going to look differently than that. Please don't forget that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are a child of the king, that you are a citizen of a higher kingdom, that you have an eternal destiny. Keep your eyes focused and lift lift up your eyes, your head. As we head into Christmas, why don't you stand with me? As we head into Christmas. We we wait with eager hope for the coming of our Messiah, the Savior. We're not waiting with eager hope for a vaccine. We're not waiting with eager hope that things go back to normal. We're waiting with eager hope for the second coming of our Christ, our God, our King. The hope of the world. That's where our hope is. At least it should be. At least it should be. There's this, um, King David writes about this in Psalm 42, about the battle raging within himself. And I love how he's honest about his disappointment. And if you get anything about this today, I I said, just be honest with the fact that you're disappointed. He says this in verse, verse three of Psalm 42. King David writes, my tears have been my food day and night, While people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then he reminds himself of what God has already done. He says in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, as I'm honest, as I'm real, as I'm transparent. He says, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's like, I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm down in this place and I'm crying and, I, and things are not the way that they, I think that they should be and I wish that you would deliver me from this. But man, I remember when I would just walk into your presence and I would sing and I would give a sacrifice of praise. I remember when I was just so stinking excited that you saved me from, from my own sin and my own death, that it didn't even matter. I remember saying that, God, if you don't do anything more for me, then I, you've done enough. I remember that. And then he gets serious in verse five. And this is, I think, where some of us need to kind of c- capture ourselves as we head into 2021, as we, as we come out of this year and we come out of this disappointment, we come out of this place, I want to encourage you to instruct your soul to line up with your mind. This is exactly what he does in verse five. He says these words, why my soul are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? He recognizes I am not where I used to be and I'm allowing this this depression, I'm allowing this thing, I'm allowing my circumstances, the situation to, to literally just be a wet blanket on the fire of my faith? Why are you so downcast? And then he starts instructing his heart. He says, put your hope in God. And he forces himself to say, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Essentially, Jesus is, is, is always pulling us from, well, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, to even if. Because, because this 2020 has been a year of what if? Like, well, what, 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 what if I get COVID? What, what, what if, what if this shuts down? Or what, what if, what if I don't get out of this jail cell? What if, what if this sickness gets me? What if my marriage falls apart? What if, what if I lose my house or my job? What if, what if I never find the one? What if, what if, what if? And and I think God is always calling us to come to this place of, 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 of resoluteness on the inside of us, where we just say even if. even if this doesn't turn out the way that I want, I will yet praise you, my Savior and my King. Even if my marriage is struggling, I will put my hope in God. I will yet praise him. Even if I lose my job, even if I lose my, I will put my hope in God. I will yet praise him. Even if it takes me years to be able to get through this, even even if I don't find my soulmate, I will put my hope in God, and I will yet praise him. Lord Jesus, I know that you are the one. Even if I don't feel it, even if I don't see it, you're working. I know that I don't need to look for anybody else. And so I put my hope in you. I refuse to put my hope in other things. I refuse to put my hope even in the changing of a calendar stinking year. I put my hope in God. I will yet praise you, my Savior and my King. And Jesus, forgive me for those times where I question. Forgive me when I question because of my own disappointment, because of the things that you're not doing. I refuse to blind myself to the things that you are, that you are moving in our midst every single day. And I refuse to accept the fact that others would like to say to me, where's your God? Where is your God? Jesus, we lift you up. We lift you high in this day, in this place. And as we head into this new year, God, we will lift up our eyes and correct our souls to line up with our minds of what we do know to say, I will lift you up and I will put my hope in you. My Savior and my King. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are still the one, and I am not waiting for anyone else. And so, Jesus, I pray that would be our prayer. Even as we head into this year, I pray even as we head into Christmas that that we would just be reminded that we would cause ourselves to remember what we have seen and what we have heard. And we don't allow the, the chaos and confusion and division and polarization and the distractions to get in the way of what it is that you called us to. And as we wait in joyful hope for the expectancy of our Savior, may that be where our hearts are aimed. And we keep our focus on you, Jesus. And it is like working double time, it seems like, this year. But we trust you we love you we lift you up above all and god as we walk out of these doors today may we walk in joyful hope and the expectation of our savior coming again may we continually remind ourselves and correct our hearts to line up with our minds of the great things that you have done and that you are doing in our midst even amongst the times where we wish we hoped and we think that you should do something differently we will put our hope in you. You are the one. And I won't wait for anybody else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Let's give them a a clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Christmas Eve is coming. I would love for you all to be here this Thursday. Pay attention if you've already signed up because there's some possible rain in the forecast. We may be making some shifts. So just be, just be looking out for that. God bless you. Merry Christmas.